Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Hello! Welcome to the Yahoo Fantasy Football Forecast. Uh, It's Andy Barron's here for you again because the people demand it. Also, because literally... Every other member of the Yahoo Fantasy staff is on vacation right at this moment, and I'm all that's left, but also because the people demand it. Our guest today, I am I am super excited to have him. It's John Bauer. You can follow him on Twitter. You should be following him on Twitter at The Bauer Club, uh, B-A-U-E-R. John is actually on vacation himself, uh, yet was still willing to jump on. Uh, John is a host of the Dynasty Theory and the Fantasy Football Confidential podcast, uh, we're going to be focused today almost entirely on the dynasty football world um, for anybody who might be considering making the leap from a redraft league to a league format that absolutely never sleeps and you never stop obsessing over. And we'll get to that in a minute. But first, just John, thank you for joining me. How, how's it going? I am super excited. You, When you messaged me and I said, hey, Andy, can we maybe do this another week? And you said, John, it's got to be this week or never. No, you didn't really say that. <laughs> but I... I I instantly, I was like, I don't care if my wife, my family, if they're a little upset, I'll ask for forgiveness over permission just this once. And I was like, I absolutely would love to join, absolutely would love to join you. So yeah, I'm on vacation. I'm in Hilton Head, South Carolina. I have a fancy white wall behind me with a nice little TV, but I am super excited. And I look at the topics here. It's going to be a great show. Wow, look at you giving away your location. Um, a celebrity of your status, I wouldn't I wouldn't expect you necessarily to do that. If anybody is in Hilton Head, they probably just left because they heard I was here. So. <laughs> well, uh the demands that I was making of you um are surely you know the the least of what you've experienced because of course on the on the confidential podcast, you have to deal with two of the biggest egos in all of the fantasy industry, obviously, and Linda and Troy King. I don't know how you do it. They are such a breath of fresh air and like we have <laughs> such a good time. We we were privileged enough to have you on the show as a guest and just our interactions and coming from completely different backgrounds and and even the way we look at fantasy, like it's so good to get a different perspective and working with those two has been an absolute blast for me. No, they're great. They're absolutely great. You guys have a you guys have a great thing going. It's it's really really fun Thank and you. that was one of my 
It was one of my, one of my favorite shows to uh, to guest on. I don't know since I've been uh, guesting on anything. It was it was great. It was a really good time. People should definitely check it out, and they should check out the Dynasty Theory. Uh, I don't know series of podcasts. It's like a lifestyle, really. You guys have, uh, I believe, you have projections available as well in a in a pretty nifty Google Drive. Is that right? Yeah. So last year we had our yearly projections. And my sister typically does our graphics. She is much more creative than I am. And I always say, listen, you're our unpaid intern. One day you're going to get paid <laughs> for now. Just get the experience. But she does a really good job from a graphic standpoint. But this year, we wanted to tie it into a points per game analyzer. And that came up because uh, Mitch, my, one of my co-hosts at Dynasty Theory, was thinking about making a trade for Patrick Mahomes in a super flex league. And his thought was, does this give me enough of a point per game advantage to really basically overpay to acquire him? And that was kind of the basis behind taking our projections, putting it into a calculator, and then attempting to project wins in your rank throughout the season. Yeah, it's a really nifty tool. I love that it came about just because someone wanted to actually execute a, a trade in a private league. That's, that's fantastic. So uh, it, it's free, right? It's out there for everybody. Pretty cool. Yep, hundred percent free. A couple things I want to hit before we get into we get into some dynasty talk, um, because again, you're here to to talk uh, dynasty fantasy football uh, in in all of its forms. I, it feels like this time of year, though. I gotta I gotta ask, how is your how is your fishbowl draft going? Is it completed? Um, are you happy with what you have? I just wrapped up today, and this is my third year taking part. The last two years, I kind of had crummy performances. And even going in, I looked at those teams. And I was like, these teams really aren't going to contend. And I feel a lot better about this team because of where I was able to get my quarterbacks in the quarterback runs. I gambled on Aaron Rodgers thinking that he is going to play this year. And I like my team a heck of a lot better this year than previous years. Yeah, it's also one of those formats where, you know, there's there's like over a thousand people playing in the league and it's it's for charity and yep. it's it's cool to do well. But like. You don't you don't play this thing to be mediocre, right? You take big swings in this. So I, I always I always feel like it's fine if you if you face plant like if you if you went all in on on a handful of guys or on you know one potential stack or something like that that you think might work out, maybe it doesn't have a huge chance to work out. But if it does, you you, you know you're you're in a great situation. I feel like that's actually the way to play it because you can have a dominant team and not even you know not not even sniff contention in this thing. There's so darn many people. Yeah, I think it's like 1900 and some this year. So I, I went for a lot of upside. And this yeah. is a conversation we had on Confidential. Linda and I were going back and forth a little bit, talking about, you know, safe picks versus upside. And in a league like that, I just swung for the fences. If you finish last or if you finish 300th, it doesn't matter. But like you said, it's for charity. But the competitive nature in me, I want to win so I can hold that over, especially Troy and Linda's heads. <laughs> if, we, if, well, if, if i if i were to win that they would never hear the end of it yeah it's a league that sets up really well for side bets right like oh, yeah, just, absolutely just, just who finishes best out of the three of you i think is a re is a really fun thing to track throughout the rest of the season the other the other thing that i want to hit here before we get into dynasty conversation and I, i've kind of you know uh threatened this a little bit that we're gonna that we're gonna take a deep dive into dynasty um, but I want to hit on a piece of news that is, I don't know, I'm calling it news. It, there's no news right now. It's the middle of frickin' July. There's no news breaking. 
nothing significant is happening whatsoever. But this is some maybe news. Um, Saquon Barkley recently appeared on the Rich Eisen show. He, again, he, he was just being evasive. He, he declined to give Rich a solid ETA, um, a, a sort of firm, yes, I'm going to be back for opening week, or yes, I'm going to be full go at the start of training camp. Um, he was basically, I mean, he was, if we're being honest, he was just evasive in the way that absolutely everyone inside the NFL is evasive about literally everything related to injuries, right? So that's not, in and of itself, maybe that's not particularly newsworthy, but it is easy to spin something like this as a bit of a negative, right? So we've we've all seen the off-season Saquon Barkley workout videos, and they're great. If the Giants have to play a game this season on a beach, like in the sand, he's going to be like, he's going to be great. There, there's been no setback to worry about here, nothing like that. But, you know, the guy, the guy suffered the ACL injury last year in, in week two, which which is basically meant that a return for the opener was always going to be pretty tight, right? Like we expect about a year recovery timeline with, with people to really feel at, at, you know, top strength, maybe, maybe 14 months, 18 months later. So um, a return to week one was always going to be tight. We're like, let's just get a temperature check on where you're at with Barkley right now. If it's from a dynasty perspective, he doesn't change for me at all. I have him in that second tier, pretty much right behind Christian McCaffrey. I have McCaffrey mm-hmm. in a league of his own. But if we're talking strictly about 2021 and we're talking about whether it was a Scott Fishbowl draft, redraft leagues, best ball, if I can go another route and I'm not dropping down significantly and looking at my tiers, I'm gonna I'm going to avoid Saquon Barkley. Like uh, somebody reached out to me recently and they had the second overall pick and they were Dalvin or Saquon. And I said, I would go Dalvin 100% of the time, which is crazy because Dalvin himself has had injury issues in the past, but what we've been able to see from him compared to Saquon, and then not only just the injury concerns, but how is that offensive line overall going to hold up? How's the game script going to be? Can Daniel Jones really move on in, in his career and really start to blossom? And I think there's a lot of questions there. So where I talked about upside in a league like Scott Fishbowl, where Saquon offers that, I do think there was a lot of risk associated with that. So strictly for 2021, I might be looking to go another direction. Yeah, it sounds like we're it sounds like we're pretty much in the same place. I've got I've got McCaffrey, Cook, Henry ahead of him um, on the on the uncertainty that he'll be available um, at full strength in week one. And I, I do think it's reasonable to think that perhaps he's He's splitting a workload or he's limited in terms of snaps in some way in week one. But uh, e- even though, generally speaking, in the NFL, coaches um, can't resist the temptation. When a guy is available, if a guy's available available for 20 snaps, you know, he, he's basically available to the coach the entire game. Um, we rarely see coaches stick to things like that. Yep. And still, on, on the concern that maybe in September he's not seeing a full workload, I have dropped him a bit in my ranks. He's behind Zeke. Uh, he's behind Jonathan Taylor. I would probably, in fact, I have done this. Um, I, I've, I've taken Travis Kelsey ahead of him. Like he's, he's on Don't the back end is, of that, of that, that break. Where, yeah. Yeah. Where I start, where I, like, I start thinking about Tyreek. I start thinking about Kelsey. I'm thinking about Diggs. I'm thinking about those like absolute top tier players at other positions. He's, he's on the, he's on the backside of that, right? Like on the, on the other side after I'm taking Kelsey. So that's been happening, but I, I, I do find, situations like this difficult to express in my in my ranks because I feel like 
you know, if, if you want to if you want to play the rankings accuracy game at all, you probably have to drop him a little bit if you're concerned about his availability in September. But that doesn't really affect how much I like September is not as important as December. Like we have to win in December. We you know, we can muddle through in uh, in September. So I still want Barkley on my rosters. And I feel like I you know, I, I've had a couple of situations in which I've been picking ninth, been picking 10th. And I've been like, I'm not that bashful on Saquon there. I like him a whole lot there. If I can get him at the back end of, of the first round, I'm I'm still in. But I always find it difficult to express that in in my rankings, right, where I feel like I have to, you know, because of the sheer math of it, because of the way rankings work, you got to think about his value over the course of the full season. But I'm but I'm still prioritizing the back end of the season. So I don't know, like, does that make any sense? How do you how do you tend to express that when you're when you're ranking players? No, that that's a really good point. And I think not just players with injury concerns, but we talk about it with rookies all the time, right? Like, you know, you want to talk about a Javante Williams. Does he take over the workload as the season progresses? So maybe he's like running back 30 now, but where do we see him as the season goes on? And in the playoffs, maybe he's running back 16, 15 at that point. So I think that's a really good point. And you mentioned with Saquon Barkley, do they use him if he is available? Do they get 20 snaps or whatever the case may be? I don't want to say Joe Judge is on the hot seat, but if they have a crummy season here, what if they look to go another direction? So if I'm Joe Judge, hey, Saquon, you're available. Get your butt out there because yeah. we, we want to win a few games this year. Yeah, it's it's very rare that head coaches, the coaching staffs, um, unless they have just supreme job security, like Belichick level job mm-hmm. security, it's very rare that they're thinking beyond today's game, <laughs> right? Like they're yeah. not, they're not, they're not typically thinking about the full lifespan of a player. They're not, they're not even typically thinking about you know uh, eight months from now. They're they're thinking about what's happening today, this quarter, this play. So if a guy's available at all. Um, it, we, we often see that, that they will exceed whatever snap count we think they're on. And that's the worst thing, too, from a weekly fantasy perspective. Hey, do I start Saquon this week? I heard the, the report is he's going to be a snap count. He might get 30 snaps. And no matter what it is, if I bench that player, they go off. If I start yeah. <laughs> that player, yeah. they tweak something five snaps in. So it's always the worst case scenario for me. Yeah. The other thing is, if a guy's going to play 30 snaps, like you're you're going to use the heck out of him in those limited snaps. Right. So it's almost like you, a team puts itself at, at a disadvantage because it's, right, it's a little right, bit of a of tell if he's on the field. Right. He's probably getting the football if he's on the field. Um, happens all the time. Let's we're not going to settle the Saquon Barkley debate today. Um, I still think he's a first rounder. It sounds like we're going to we're, we're pretty much in, in a similar place on him. And, and fortunately, with the exception of a handful of best ball drafts out there, there's not really any serious drafting going on right now outside of a, a handful of fishbowl leagues. So let's dive in. Let's dive into the dynasty world, which is which is uh, a specialty of yours. And I'm going to I'm going to start this with um, what I think is the, the most essential question, the most at least the most essential philosophical question for anybody um, building a dynasty roster, which is do you and, and how? exactly do you balance the nfl is obviously the nfl is ruled by you know violence and injuries and suspensions and all sorts of things and it's really difficult to make long-term plans in the nfl so the approach that you might take in like a baseball league um versus versus a football league is super different how do you how do you approach like this year's title are you a dynasty manager 
who goes in thinking, you know what, I just want to, I just want to build the best 2021 roster. And I'm going to approach this um, as close as I can to a redraft, because I think that'll give me an edge in the current season. Or are you the sort of manager who is only worried about, you know, their 2023, 2024 roster? Like, I I feel like I've done enough um, dynasty startups so far just this summer. I've done a couple of them anyway. And I've seen extreme versions of each approach, right? And and uh, I, I should I should talk about this with my colleague, Scott Pianowski, because I've only ever seen him draft for the current season. Like, I've been in a couple of dynasty startups with him, and I think he's taken Tom Brady in both of them. And, you know, it's uh, he must have the oldest rosters in each of them. But they're great rosters, and I would make him one of the favorites to win, like, this year. So this is a really long way of saying, how do you balance, you know, the current season versus future needs in dynasty? That is the key question, especially whenever you're first getting into Dynasty. Because I know for me personally, when I first got into Dynasty several years ago, if you were like over the age of 23, get the heck out of here. I wasn't looking because everybody like, you know, (laughs) in my first Dynasty League, you got to look at the future. You can't just look to win now. So that's what I did. But if you continually do that, it's going to be difficult for you to win. But then on the other hand, if you go win now, and you win, that's great. You probably pay for six or seven years down the road, plus you have that title. But if you fail in year one, it could be extremely difficult. If you approach the Superflex Dynasty League with Tom Brady and Ben Roethlisberger going into 2021, you might be in a tough situation. So what I like to do, and a lot of this is dictated by the startup draft itself, a few approaches that I've had success with, I mean, I I like to trade back a lot, Because one, you get additional depth, you minimize your risk because if you get out of that first round, yeah, you have that high profile player, but if they get injured or go down or get suspended, you're not necessarily completely lost for the season. And now if you're able to move back and accumulate those extra picks in the future, it allows you to get those values in the startup draft that are aging veterans that people might not want. So I have had a lot of success where I've moved back. I've been able to get like an extra 2022 first, an extra 2023 first. So I'm, I'm good on the future there. But then I can get those win now pieces like a Tom Brady that you mentioned and still feel okay about it. The times that I build a little bit more towards the future is if I would ever move my future picks, if that makes sense. So my future picks are gone. I have a team that content, can contend but I'm not looking at those 30-year-old wide receivers, those 29-year-old running backs. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm looking at teams that can contend, but I'm not going to be completely shot in 2022 or 2023. Yeah, give me, give me some examples or an example of a, a trade that you've made in which you've, in which you've traded out of like the current season's first round. Like what kind of haul are we talking? Are we talking like, number one overall pick? Are we talking like back end first round pick? And and are you almost always able to get a future first in those in those moves? It's tough. So it depends on the league because and this is like so many intricacies looking at dynasty. There are some leagues that you have access to your future picks already. Some you have to pay a year in advance to get access. And it's going to be different league to league. But especially if I have like the 112, 111, 110, that back into the first in a super flex startup, I don't know if there's much of a difference going back 12 spots 
because right. your yeah. 112, 201, 202 very well could be somebody that I have a little further back and vice versa. So uh, several trades that I've done and I'm in, uh, let's just say a, a lot of leagues. I mean, I'm in a, a number <laughs> of leagues that if my wife happens to listen to this, uh, you know, <laughs> that, that number comes down a little bit, but so I have the luxury of taking different approaches and, and uh, testing the waters and seeing what works out well. And a trade that I have done that I really, really like is actually moving up on the front end, which kind of goes against what I just said, and then moving back on the back end. So like if I trade 112 or 212 and my 412 for the 112 and 701 or something, um, or you know whatever it might be, plus getting that first, because I think a lot of people are like, okay, yeah, I'm moving back here, but then I'm moving up significantly in the back. But you got to think the ranges throughout the draft, the pick values are certainly different. You know, you're scooching back 12 picks in the beginning is not nearly the same as 12 picks in the seventh to eighth round. But yeah, I mean, there are so many examples in, in different trade scenarios that I've had success with. And then sometimes you look back and you're like, crap, why, why did I make that trade? Because when you have the players assigned, you're like, that one doesn't look too great. Well, you've hit on, you've hit on something there that, that is important for people to know just strategically, I think, um, when, you know, in a couple different places where you referenced like the, the 12th overall, like the final pick of the first round versus, you know, a pick that you might have in the second. And then again, um, when you mentioned the difference between like a fourth round pick and a seventh round pick, there is absolute consent. You know, this is this is not just my own feeling on it. I think this is supported by years of draft data at Yahoo. Like there is always absolute consensus about that group of players at the very top of a draft. Mm -hmm. And then the deeper in we go, there's 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 not that much difference um, between the guy who goes 12th overall and the player who goes 24th overall in terms of value. And this holds up from sport to sport, too. This isn't even this isn't just like a football thing, right? Like this, this is the same deal in basketball. It's the same deal in baseball. And, and once we get deeper into drafts and you're talking about like the fourth round versus the sixth round or the seventh round, all of a sudden we're into rounds where people are already drafting for, for positional needs, right? And the, the actual value of the player may not be that different at all. So I think that's a really good point. If you can, if you can make a deal in which somebody feels like they're getting, uh, they're, they're really getting a huge advantage but for practical purposes, it's it's maybe not maybe not all that it's cracked up to be. I think that's a really smart way to play it. And that's the issue, too. So three, four years ago, everybody was you were able to move back because people were willing to move up. So if you had that early first I specific trades like 105, I could move that for a second, a fourth and a future first. And people yeah. were willing to pay that. And now we're seeing more and more how quickly values are changing across the top of each position. I mean, Todd Gurley was a first round pick, what, just two <laughs> years ago. Yeah. So uh, Le'Veon Bell as well. So we're looking at that. Now everybody wants to move back. And that's when you start to get to that threshold where it's like, okay, everybody wants to move back. So it's supply and demand. Now I might have the ability to move up at a discount. Whereas before that wasn't the case. Okay, that's that's actually a really good segue to to another question that I had for you, which is, I mean, I could I, you'll you'll know from the way I asked this question how I feel about it. Um, 
when you when you consider dynasty ranks for for fantasy football, are you are you looking at different time horizons depending on position, right? And you've already mentioned the fact that like just just a couple of years ago that Todd Gurley would have been like if not if not the number one overall dynasty running back, right? He would have been right up there. And now he's now now he's not in the top sixty, right? Now now he doesn't have a team. Um, we're still waiting for him to land somewhere. So a lot can change in a hurry at running back. Whereas quarterback, you know, I'm like, I, I, I was actually I was actually messing around with some dynasty ranks today, and it, it occurred to me that you know Matthew Stafford in five years is probably going to be pretty close to the current version of Matthew Stafford. You know, he's 33. Like I should be I should be about done with Matthew Stafford, um, but he's a quarterback, and those guys you know have a much longer shelf life. So how do you approach the the differences in lifespan basically between the positions? That is a really good question and, and topic because a lot of people, again, you get in a dynasty, you're thinking, all right, I got to think 10 years down the line. <laughs> I couldn't tell you how many players I have, especially if I did a startup two or three years ago. If I even have anybody on that roster still, there's a very yeah. good chance that I turned over most of the high value assets. So when you're looking at it, you brought up quarterback and Matthew Stafford, even a Ryan Tannehill. Oh, they're in their 30s. That disgusting for dynasty. No. <laughs> Give me, you know, outside of maybe Patrick Mahomes, who we have a pretty good idea that he's going to hold value for quite some time. There could be question marks and narratives placed around so many quarterbacks that are they going to have value in five years? And for me, quarterbacks, three years. Give me three years where I feel very confident that you're going to be a starting quarterback, you're going to have value, and I'm going to be comfortable having you at a certain point in my rankings. And that's kind of why, for me, the rookie quarterbacks are so enticing. We talk about Trey Lance, Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, even Zach Wilson and Mac Jones, that I feel good that they're going to have a starting job three, four years down the road. One of the only examples I can think of recently, uh, Dwayne, well, two, Dwayne Haskins and Josh Rosen. If you took that gamble, that didn't pan out. But then for running backs, we talk about the high volatility in their value year to year, two years. And that's what, you know, even look at Josh Jacobs, Miles Sanders, still decent backs, still productive for fantasy purposes, but they've gone from consensus top 10 backs to late teens, early twenties. It like that. Those are, those are actually two really good names to throw out there because, you know, Josh Jacobs, the film on Josh Jacobs from his rookie season in particular was crazy. Um, I, I thought, I thought he was phenomenal and he was one of those guys where like all the, all the advanced analytics backed it up too, right? Like he mm-hmm. was, if not the leader in missed tackles, he was among yep. the leaders in missed tackles, at least per game. He was fantastic. Miles Sanders coming out of his rookie season, um, caught a ton of passes. We certainly weren't worried about Miles Sanders' ability to catch passes. And now the book on Miles Sanders, right, is, oh, they got to bring in Gainwell because Sanders' hands don't work. He can't, can't catch anything. Like our opinions of players, especially at running back, can change just in a second um, in a game. Right. Like uh, Miles Sanders has two drops in a game and all of a sudden we all, we've all decided that he can't catch the ball anymore. Yep. Um, it, it absolutely happens. I, I, I do tend to agree with you. There's a great deal more volatility at, at running back. And I probably I think the way I approach it is is basically to treat the running back position as if it's redraft um, yep. and, and not and not look too far. And I'll like 
I, I maybe I should say that I use I use age or or years in the league as a as a bit of a tiebreaker. I'm not even sure if I do. Um, but like I feel really good about Najee Harris. But on the other hand, I feel really good about Najee Harris and redraft just as well. So I, I think you're safest. And I don't know, you can contradict this if you if you feel differently. But I feel like you're safest treating running back as as if you're not in a dynasty league at all. And then and then the other positions you have to regard differently. And a lot of it too. think about running back and. I, I focus on this a lot, but the contract situations and mm, well, yeah. the NFL, they shouldn't pay running backs. They shouldn't get that second contract kind of just keep recycling, keep, you know, go, go with another option once their contracts up. But, and we, we always try to stay ahead of values. Okay. Well, this is what I think is going to happen. So I should move Derrick Henry because he's not going to get that second contract. Jalen Mixon, Alvin Kamara, Dalvin, whoever the case may be. But now we're seeing that those players are getting contra- those second contracts, and we're very bad as a community deciding, okay, that player is going to get a contract or they're not. They're going to get cut because look at the dead cap. I mean, Robert Woods was a good, good example at the wide receiver position. The writing yeah. was on the wall. Hey, he's, you know, the, the Rams, they're in, they're in salary cap hell. They're not going to be able to pay Robert Woods. They're going to cut him. Then they extend him. <laughs> like, you know, so I, I think looking at the running back landscape, maybe not necessarily just for a one-year perspective, but two, and then beyond that, I wouldn't look any further because like I said, we both talked about even high-end assets on a weekly basis, despite how long-term Dynasty is, the short-term implications and outcomes play such a massive role in how we value players. And production so important, but so is market value. And I, I think we see that in the running back position. Wide receivers, I mean, give me 27-year-old receivers, 28-year-old receivers like Allen yeah. Robinson, Robert Woods, even a little bit older. Uh, I mean, people are starting to look at Chris Godwin. Well, where's he going to end up if he's not in Tampa Bay after 2021? The dude's like 25 and he's been a top tier, top tierish receiver over the last few years. So wide receiver with the depth and the high end availability from receiver to receiver once they do produce and it typically continues, I'm more than willing to look out a little bit further for that. Yeah. How do you approach, how do you approach tight end? Because it is obviously notorious um, in, in terms of, you know, just being such a developmental position in the NFL. Right. And we've, we've already had this conversation a few times about Kyle Pitts. Like it's, it's just really hard to step into the NFL at that position where you're a part of, basically a couple of different um, uh, positional groups, right? You've got a, you know, you're, you're part of the offensive line. You're part of the receiving core. You, you may have responsibilities in the backfield, right? Like you just have a lot of responsibilities. It's hard. The NFL is very different from college at that spot. Um, it's not simple at all. And so we, we see it as like a, you know, it's pretty common that NFL tight ends don't really pop until their second contract, right? Like, we may see hints. Uh, we, we may get a glimmer in, in, during the first contract, and that might be that second team and second contract when they actually blow up. So how do you regard that from a, from a dynasty perspective? Do you, do you just throw your hands up and say, I'm only getting veterans? Like, I, I, to heck with it, I'm not going to sit on a guy for three years until I think he's great. Or do you only take an interest in guys that are Hawkinson, Pitts level talents? I take part in a lot of tight end premium leagues. You know, whether it's 1.5 mm. PPR for tight ends, 2 PPR, leagues where you have to start two re- or tight ends. So for me, I talked about trading out of the first or the second earlier. If I'm not able to do that, those high-end assets like Travis Kelsey, 
Darren Waller, George Kittle, and now, unfortunately, and I hate to say unfortunately, Kyle Pitts, because is he going to be at that level? We don't know, but the market certainly treats him like that. Yeah, I've sent out offers of my Travis Kelsey for Kyle Pitts in tight end premium leagues, rejected. And then just to kind of test the market, I've done the other way. <sighs> Kyle Pitts for Travis Kelsey, rejected. So it's like, if you, <laughs> whoever you have, you're kind of sticking with them. And it certainly depends on the managers that have that player. But tight end, yeah, I'm looking for the high-end assets. But if I can't get those top six guys, I'm stashing a ton of players. Um, you know, one guy I really liked a few years ago didn't pan out, but Ian Thomas, that was a guy. But the, the thing is, you look at these guys, they're dirt cheap in startups. Yeah, so, so it's like throw quantity at the problem instead of, you know, one of the one of the brand name guys. Absolutely. So if the, the way the draft goes, if people are reaching on tight end, especially if it's not a tight end premium league, there's no issue fading the position, throwing a bunch of darts and seeing what sticks. Let me ask you for, um, for people that are just launching dynasty leagues, what sort of settings do you recommend or do you personally enjoy in terms of, in terms of kept players? Do you like, do you like salary cap drafts where you have annual increases? Do you like a standard draft in which you maybe keep guys in specific rounds? Like, I, man, I'm in, I'm in, I, I feel like the full range of dynasty leagues from very simple rules, which, you know, in, in certain leagues that that's all anybody wants. They don't, they don't want like overly complicated, uh, uh, decisions in the off season. And then I am in some leagues. In fact, I'll, I, I can mention one of them. Uh, it's, it's, it's run by Chris Harris, um, who is, in addition to being a great podcaster and a great fantasy analyst, he is the greatest fantasy commissioner that, that I know. Um, he, cer- he certainly uh, has the most complicated leagues of anyone I know. And uh, he, he, runs, he runs one that, that people are familiar with, I think, called La Liga, that is literally it's as complicated as the NFL itself. We have to, it, it has to be maintained on two separate fantasy platforms. Like we draft on one and we play it out on the other and we have holdouts and we have transition tags and franchise tags and it's super complicated and the salary cap moves up and down each year and everybody's got a contract and it's really hard, but it's, but I'm so emotionally invested in it and I'm so just, you know, February, I'm thinking about it. January, I'm thinking about it. Like there's, there's never a time that I'm not thinking about that league. So what, what's your favorite format to play in and what do you recommend for people who are just starting out? Oh, man, there's so much to this question. So for me personally, before I get into if you're just starting out, which actually might be one and the same, but for me, because I am in so many leagues, I find it very difficult. One, I want to keep everything on the same platform. So I know there are so many great platforms out there for Dynasty, but having to go to 50 different apps and sites, and I'm like, oh, yeah. no. I, 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 I'm ashamed to say this. There is one league that I may have missed setting my lineup a few times last year just because it's the one league on a certain app. And I'm like, oh my God, like I was embarrassed by that. But for me, full-blown dynasty, I want to keep... So if you have a 24-round startup draft, I want to keep 24 players. If you have a 26, keep 26. I want to keep all of them. And when you have your rookie draft the next year, you have to cut as many players as you draft. And that's, that's what I prefer. There are leagues, like you mentioned, keeper leagues, you keep six, you keep 10, and you lose the rounds they might have been drafted in. I will say, if you're just starting out, I think there's a lot of 
nuances and peculiarities with leagues like that that you really have to pay attention to. So if you're brand new to Dynasty, I say go all in and just do it. You draft 24 players, you keep 24 players. You don't have to worry about the strategy. Well, who's the better value? Where do I keep them? What round do I lose? And I just think it keeps it simple and limits the potential errors that you could make by taking a misstep. So for me, it's full-blown dynasty. Keep all of them. Yeah, I think that's I think that's pretty good advice for anybody, especially if you're in a league that is trying to convert to a dynasty league, right? Mm-hmm. And um, and you've got some reluctant members. You, you've got to you've got to keep it simple, simple, right? Like you've you've got to you've got to maintain keeper rules that are about as simple as can be. And I think that I think that probably does it. If you just keep everybody and then only replace the rookies, it's probably a smart way to go. And nobody's going to get tripped up by that. And you can add levels of complexity as you yep. go, as as people decide uh, that they want them. Like I'm in one league and the managers are fantastic. It's a 24 team, two copy league. So you have two of every player, which is fine. I have several leagues like that. But huh. the, you can use a certain power in a given week. And it's like it's like a a badge almost that you put on a player. And if you play video games, it's like, you know, leveling up almost. So if I (laughs) use that power on Alvin Kamara, maybe I get one and a half times his actual points. And last year, I think I forgot to use the power again. I I just, (laughs) so many leagues in my portfolio, I want the simplest thing as possible. And I want to know these are the scoring settings. And I'm not going to make a mistake league to league because, oh man, I forgot that one's tight end premium. And I, you know, traded a player at a discount compared to what I would have if I knew it was tight end premium. So even if you're a beginner or are playing in the number of leagues that I play in, mistakes are going to happen. They're going to happen to everybody. So let me ask, and listen, this is such a vague question. You can just give me um, um, sort of vague thoughts about it, but um, it relates to actually a situation that I have going on in a baseball league right now. Just a, just a quick thought about the, the, the thing that always comes up in dynasty leagues, which is trading future picks or future assets or prospects or whatever for current like win now um, assets, right? So I'm, I'm in this baseball dynasty league that is barely holding together at the moment because we've seen this lopsided trade in terms of 2021 value, right? Like I get why both managers did it for dynasty purposes and, and for win now mode, but, um, but it really shakes up the league when, when stuff like this happens, right? Because it's basically decided the league um, in July with, with over two months to go in the season that the, the whole thing seems kind of over. I guess, I guess what I'm asking is, do you like to see guardrails on, on trades um, because of situations like this? Are you more of the, the sort of anything goes commissioner? First of all, I'm not sure what that B word is you keep saying. Listen, Andy, I live in <laughs> Pittsburgh, so I have the Pittsburgh Pirates to deal with. So you talk about baseball. I'm like, yeah, man, this is tough. actually got some fun dynasty assets there. That's not like you're more interesting in dynasty than you are in uh, season long. We've been rebuilding for 30 years. Come on. <laughs> yeah, we got a few good seasons mixed in. But anyway, I, I love that question because this actually happened in a league of mine recently. Similar to what you just said, there was a trade that really shook the league to its core. And people were in the chat. Oh, my goodness. I can't believe this. You should have shopped that player around. What's going on? And it really could change the landscape of your league. For me, as long as there is no collusion involved, I say let it go. You know, it's frustrating. 
yes, that person might have been able to get more if they if they looked around and talked to other managers. But for the most part, if as long as it's not like, hey, Andy, here's a, a first round pick. Give me your third round pick. Wait, what? Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, as long as there's no collusion and, and sketchy stuff going on, uh, just let it go. And it also, I think it makes it easier on the commissioner. And I avoid being a commissioner at all costs, just because there are so many things you have to be involved in. But let people make the trades as they see fit, despite how frustrating it could be. Yeah, I actually 100% agree with that. Collusion is really the only reason mm-hmm. that I that I would ever want to nix a trade. I I hate when when we have like sort of league vote veto scenarios. I can't stand it. Um, I I always feel like the 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 hard work is in assembling a league full of people who are all going to you know act responsibly and in the interest of their own team. And there's never going to be any any sort of collusive behavior or anything like that. 100%. Once you once you've done that hard work, you just got to trust everybody, right? And people are always going to win and lose trades. And there's going to be plenty of examples of deals in which, you know, the league is rioting and everybody's really upset about the deal that just went down. And then it, and then it doesn't shake out the way anybody thinks it will, right? Like I've seen that happen a million times, just as often as, as you know, some, something that we're, we're right about where we think it's going to blow up the league and it actually does, right? So I'm, I'm fundamentally with you on that. I really don't think you know, I'm I'm hoping that things calm down in uh, in in the baseball format that I'm talking <laughs> about. Like I, I I generally agree with you. Collusion only reason it makes a deal at all. A couple other quick questions that I want to have for you, or that I that I have for you. One of them is is simply about rookies. As I mentioned, I've had um, a couple of these dynasty startup drafts, and I, this is really just an observation. I I cannot believe how excited some of the and these are like industry analysts in these leagues. Um, I cannot believe how excited people have been for rookies versus proven second year players. So I guess I just want to talk sort of generally about the appeal of the, of the unproven rookie ver- and, and maybe how we can take advantage of that phenomenon. Because I, I, I feel as if we're, there's a certain type of fantasy owner that is, that is willing to ignore almost any perceived weakness in a rookie player until he plays his first game. And then once they've played their first game, they're, they're like a car that lost half its value when you drove it off the lot, right? Once, once anything on the scouting report appears to be confirmed, then, then all of a sudden we hate him. So like I've had these startup drafts where I felt like, wow, I came out of this with a pretty young team and I've got, Hey, I've got Cam Akers over here and I've got CD lamb over here and I'm, I'm feeling pretty good about this roster. This is a young team. That's going to be good for a while. And then, you know, there, there was this, again, this was an industry league and, and the commissioner decided to do a write-up on it. And the, and the write-up only focused on rookies. Like if you, like if you didn't take eight rookies, um, you hadn't really approached it as a true dynasty league. But I guess my perspective on this is that we can use the league itself to curate the player pool, right? And the thing about second-year players is that the league itself has already, has already done some of the work for you and figured out who's going to stick and who's not. And and we should be more willing to take advantage of that. It's like that situation. I think it's like a family guy scene or something. <laughs> you can have the boat or the mystery box. What, are you crazy? We'll take the boat. No, 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 not so fast, Lois. A boat's a boat, but the mystery box could be anything. It could even be a boat. You know how much we've wanted one of those. Then let's just... We'll take the box. It's like you could have this $20 bill or have this box that might have a $20 bill. Yeah. In. Like It's like, <laughs> like yeah, the, yeah. the mystery box. And that's essentially what it is. 
But typically, I would agree with you 100%. The unknown is always interesting. And I think people always have the ceiling as the expectation. And that's what's going to happen. So my rookie, my favorite rookie, there's no way they're going to fail in the NFL. But with the hype still out there around that 2020 class, for the most part, I would say I'm still seeing a lot of those players held in high regard, even when compared to this 2021 class. But the one that really gets me, and you mentioned his name, CeeDee Lamb, Jamar Chase, I think is going to be an absolutely incredible player. But there's people that have Chase over Lamb. We've seen Lamb in a crowded offense at times with quarterbacks that maybe shouldn't have even been on the field. That's for other people to decide be productive and efficient from a fantasy standpoint. And people are saying, Oh, I want chase ahead of him. Well, it's not like you're dealing with a 30 year old wide receiver. You're dealing with CD lamb who right. is still extremely young second year in the league. So that's the big discrepancy I've seen and not necessarily second year, but I'm seeing like Rondell Moore go before Tyler Boyd. And that blows my mind. There's yes, like, there's a, that's a great example. Yes. And again, not second year, but still a young player that has dynasty value. I'm seeing some quarterbacks uh, at times. Zach Wilson's going before Tua. And I don't want to talk about the Dolphins too much because Troy's head is going to be, <laughs> you know, but there's a lot of disrespect for these players. And I, I Joe Burrow, is he's going to get killed behind that offensive line. He's going to get injured again. I'm going to take Justin Fields ahead of him, or I'm going to take Trey Lance ahead of him. So to an extent, I agree with you. And I think we see it in the quarterbacks and wide receivers a little bit more. Because outside of maybe Najee Harris, the four or five backs from the 2020 class, I think they're still super expensive right now. Yeah, no, that's that's true. And I actually, I want to close there and I, I want to give you an opportunity to talk about the rookie class a little bit. Um, just give me, man, this is this is such a complicated question. And you might <laughs> you might actually filibuster on this one and go for go for quite a while. But just give me give me your favorite players in the current rookie class at each of the, each of the main fantasy spots outside of the, the absolute top names. Right. So um, we're not talking about Trevor Lawrence. Tell me, tell me your next most interesting quarterback. And we're not talking about Kyle Pitts or Harris or Jamar Chase or Devonte Smith um, go a little bit further down the ranks or go really far down the ranks and, and tell me who's most interesting to you. I like this question. I'm going to try to keep it brief. I told you, Andy, you're going to have to reel me in here because despite being on vacation, I could talk to you about this stuff. I mean, much longer than you would like, probably. You'd be like, all right, John, let's cut his mic off, (laughs) cut his mic off. So these aren't necessarily my, they're not the guys that I think are going to be like number two of the position necessarily. But based on their current price, these are the guys that I have a lot of dynasty shares a quarterback, Zach Wilson, typically he's going quarterback four in drafts. For me, he's a lot closer to quarterback two than even quarterback five. And I have a lot of Mac Jones too, but Zach Wilson, I love what they're doing in New York. They're really, they're, we're going to hear that the word culture a lot with this team. They're changing the culture there. They're adding weapons around him. They're improving that offensive line, something that the old regime was not willing or capable of doing with Sam Darnold. So for me, Zach Wilson at quarterback, Running back, Javante Williams. He was my running back two pre-draft. He's still my running back two in this class. Melvin Gordon. I mentioned this earlier as an example, but I still I believe it to be true. I think Javante Williams takes over that lead role as the season progresses. Melvin Gordon, if you look at some of his advanced metrics last year, he was not efficient 
with the touches that, you know, you look at success rate on any given play, he was towards the bottom of the league. So did he rack up fantasy points? Yeah, but it was due to the volume more so than efficiency. So Javante Williams running back to, I think Denver starts to turn it around a little bit. Is let, that me, let me let me pause you. Let, let me pause right there because I actually think that's a super interesting backfield, and I and I see the entire, I see like the whole fantasy industry rushing to Javante Williams. Mm-hmm. Um, I also I feel like we get situations like this wrong a, a, a fair amount, right? Because there's like Melvin Gordon's been a good player, and mm-hmm. he was productive for them last year. They their their running game, their backfield was not the problem last year. Obviously, the quarterback has been the problem. Um, but but they ran a I mean they ran a committee last year and they ran a committee in which in which Melvin Mel, Melvin was in charge of receptions right like there's just there's just not another way to put it do we feel like they want to go to something else do we like do we have a reason to feel that that they want Williams to be the lead guy that they want Williams to be the you know the two thirds of the touches kind of player and do, do we think he's going to step into a larger receiving role than he had as a collegiate player. Like everybody else, I you know I, I thought I thought his tape was fantastic, um, super fun to watch. Harder was also really fun to watch. Mm-hmm. It was just really fun to watch um, North Carolina steamroll some of the lesser teams of the ACC. Honestly, so Williams, really good player. I'm not sure that I'm sold on the idea that they want either back to to absolutely dominate the workload. Maybe you're not saying that. Okay, let me go back just a step. So I believe Melvin Gordon's going to get like. 60 to 65 percent of the running back market share to start the season so when i say it it shifts as the season progresses i think we see more of that 50 50 split what's intriguing for me for javante williams is the fact that melvin gordon is he going to be extended beyond 2021 and if not that's where not just the possible production but the overreactions from the dynasty community let's say melvin gordon is not extended for 2022 Javante Williams could very well, depending on how he produces in 2021, be a top 15 dynasty back. And so instantly you get that, or even higher, maybe top 12, you get that increase in value based on that situation. So uh, yeah, saying that I think Javante Williams takes over the backfield, that would be, uh, in my mind, incorrect. I, I do think it gets closer to 50-50 though. Okay, I I, I interrupted you. Give me a... I, I, <laughs> I'm going to guess you're, maybe you're not going to say Elijah Moore at receiver, but I assume that if you're that if you're in on Zach Wilson, you have to be in on Elijah Moore. I'm not even kidding. I have my my notes here. I had Elijah Moore written down first. I not, <laughs> and then I backspace, backspace, backspace. I, I love Elijah Moore, but based on the price, and this is all about potential opportunity and game script and what Jared Goff has done with the slot receiver previously. Amon Ra St. Brown. He's somebody I really liked pre-draft. You look at some of his uh, collegiate numbers and the breakout age, the college dominator, what he was able to do across from Michael Pittman whenever they both were at USC. And a lot of his metrics and numbers from college really line up well to Robert Woods. And I'm not saying they're the same type of player, and maybe it's just the USC screaming at me to make that comparison, but I thought a lot of the numbers lined up. Would I have liked for Amon Ross St. Brown to get second or third round draft capital? Yeah. I don't want to see a receiver running back in the fourth round. But, and this is like a really small sample size, something I looked at. Does it matter when you look at draft capital where receivers line up? So if you're outside predominantly versus in the slot, 
And it's funny because the hit rate on fourth round wide receivers that play more out of the slot actually was slightly above the overall hit rate. Again, it's a really, really, really small sample size, but you're, you're pulling in some of those, those lower end receivers that run out of slot. And I mean, DD Westbrook was one of them, you know, did he sustain success? No, but he did have a top 24 season. Could that be within the realm of possibility for Amon Ross St. Brown, who I think is going to run out of the slot most of the time. Yeah. And with Rashad Perriman, Tyrell Williams, Quintez Tifus, there's a lot of question marks there in that Detroit offense. And I think, especially based on the Vegas win totals and the projections, there's going to be some negative game scripts there. So I'm hoping, maybe that's more hope, but Amon Ross St. Brown, he's my receiver that I'm looking at. And then uh, tight end to round it up, Kylan Granson. Uh, I, I think he like could it. have, uh, we're digging deep here, but looking beyond 2021 in Indianapolis, Jack Doyle can be cut for less than a million bucks. Mo Ali Cox, undrafted free agent after, or not undrafted free, uh, unrestricted free agent after 2021. So there could be a potential opportunity if Carson Wentz excels in that offense. We've seen the way that he has utilized the tight ends, potentially could be Granson. Um, I, I love it. These are good names. Uh, these are spectacular names. I, I, I just want to thank you at this point for, um, for jumping on with us while on vacation. That is absolutely heroic work. Um, what is, what is on tap for you when you get back? Uh, just, I mean, at this point, it's kind of like you said, there, there's no news. There's nothing really going on. On Dynasty Theory, we're really talking about the theory. So if you go back and listen to our library over the last month, month and a half, it's not a lot of, oh, go acquire this player, go move this player. It's more of the theory and higher level looking at the game itself. Um, and then Fantasy Football Confidential, while it is every two weeks now, we're going to be gearing up and going every week here shortly. So Dynasty Theory every Tuesday night, 9 o'clock Eastern Time. Fantasy Football Confidential, 9 o'clock every Wednesday night, starting here in a couple weeks uh, when we, we start revving up a little bit. But yeah, this was, Andy, an absolute blast. And I, like I said, I could have talked to you for hours about these topics. Yeah, this is this is fun stuff for me. And uh, like just the the notion of building leagues and how we build teams and and uh, the settings that we choose. Like this is this is bread and butter stuff for me for for July. So really enjoyed having you on. Really enjoyed talking to you about it. Um, again, you guys should all be following him at the Bauer Club. That is B A U E R. Uh, if you guys are looking for college talk, follow the Yahoo Sports College Podcast with Dan Wetzel, Pete Thamel. Our good friend Pat Forty from SI should also be listening to Post It Up with Chris Haynes for more in-depth conversations from the world of the NBA. King of Sacramento, Bahamian basketball's very own Buddy Heald joins Chris this week. I am merely at Andy Barron's. Uh, that is it for us this week. We'll be back with more pod later in the week. Check us out on Twitter at Yahoo Fantasy. That is it, folks. We are out.